0: casting from a resistance camp on Dorvan 5. This is Politrex.
1: The time
0: Directive. the Declaration of human
1: rights, the united federation of class,
0: Welcome everyone to Politrex. My name is Barry DeFort and with me on the interview today is the often imitated, never replicated Mr. Shashankavaru and our very special guest, Bryson. We are going to be talking today about something that I think is extremely important as we start looking at how race and racism are very much factored into the very fabric of our society in a lot of ways and how we are now standing up against that in a a very real and material way that I'm extremely happy to see. I guess, like, I'm happy that it's happened. I wish it would have happened a long time earlier, but I am glad to see this groundswell of support that uh, Black Lives Matter is getting. With regard to that, though, we also want to make sure that we understand that Indigenous lives matter as well. I think it's important that we uh, continue this conversation uh, into realms that uh, science fiction has tackled to some degree and maybe in some cases hasn't. So this is a very constructive conversation about Star Trek's approach to indigenous people and indigenous culture. Uh, Of course we love Star Trek but at the same time it is the product of its times and I think Bryson and Shashank and myself have a really good conversation about that. I think this is going to probably be a part two coming eventually as well and uh, we're really excited to have Bryson back on as, as much as it was an honor to have him uh, on the show to begin with. So we hope you enjoy the episode, and uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Polytrex. You can also support the Trek Geeks Network on Patreon as well. It gets you some pretty nifty perks here and there. Trek Geeks Network also stands with Black Lives Matter. You can check out links for support uh, as well, and uh, check out the link below that Bryson brings up about his his cousin and uh, singing Blackbird as well. I'm really excited to bring this up as well. Um, the Trek Geeks Network is going to be hosting a charity live stream to benefit Feeding America. And uh, that live stream is going to be taking place Thursday, this Thursday, June 11th, uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's in the year 2020. Um, really highly recommend you checking it out. The uh, wonderful Mr. Jonathan Frakes has agreed to join us uh, for that live stream. And i just uh, very excited to uh, to be part of a network that is taking so very seriously the economic hardships and precarity people are experiencing around the world, but uh, helping people in their own areas uh, specifically. It's something that we at Politrex very much uh, want to make sure that we show all of our support for, and uh, hope you can too. So if you can join Dan Bill and the Trek Network this Thursday, June 11th at 8:30 Eastern, uh, check out uh, the Feeding America charity live stream with wonderful Mr. Jonathan Frakes. And now on to our discussion with Price. Here we have today uh, on our main topic, we're going to be talking about indigenous representation in Star Trek and then possibly sort of in sci-fi gen- in general. So Shashank, um, as a Indian, what uh, what sort of things did you encounter or did you have much of an understanding of indigenous culture through Star Trek when you were watching it when you were a younger person?
1: First off, um, I appreciate the question. It's a, It is a loaded question. And I will preface that by saying uh, that I'm sure even as a Western viewer, there are things as a Native American culture enthusiast or somebody who's in the know picks up things differently than I do. In our textbooks, like growing up, in our history textbook, we were basically just, there's maybe half a page that told us there were once these people called the native americans and then they were they were there was a genocide and then they were ta- they were their land was taken away and then it became america like that's about as far as we get to in our textbooks back home in india so mm-hmm. really the big representation that i found in star trek is the journey send episode you remember that one yes uh, from mm-hmm. and that is a like that was the one that i found apart from uh, you know, we've talked to our guest earlier about this. And apart from little things like the names of places or certain ships that were named, that, you know, they're out, they're supposed to be, the intention is to honor the Native American people. And those are about what I picked up. What about you? What did you pick up?
0: You know, I have to say that it, it sort of was kind of like... Um monocultural. And it was only later on in my life that I ended up getting a much better understanding of how Indigenous society and culture is, you know, kind of path to hell paved with good intentions, um, sort of misrepresented in so many different ways. And it came from a number of experiences. But one of those experiences was encountering friends uh, who I had made and who I had met on Twitter. um, And one of them is a uh, a very, very uh, entertaining and fun person. Uh, Bryson is a fellow Trek fan. And this is an important day because I get to listen to both of you talk about this and I get to ask a ton of questions. So without further ado, Bryson, welcome to Paula Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Quay, which means uh, hello in Mi'kmaq. I'm Bryson. I live in uh, Nova Scotia, which is The I guess the settler term for for Mi'kma'ki, which is basically Nova Scotia, PEI, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Maine, and part of Gaspé, Quebec. Yeah, so I grew up here. I've lived here most of my life. um, And yeah, I don't know what else to really say. Uh,
1: (laughs) Where did your interaction with Star Trek start? Do you remember the first time you saw Star Trek anything? Oh, yeah. how, How did that connection happen?
2: It was when I was uh, young, I would watch, I like, I grew up with ne- the next generation. So that's where I first started watching Star Trek. And then ever since then, I watched pretty much every episode, every series, every movie. So do you have a favorite
0: character or characters? Because <sighs> I mean, say naming one is that's not fair.
2: I know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it it really depends on on the day, really. But like, you know, like. You can really relate to like Chakotay or Cisco, you know, for being, especially for being BIPOC, you know, like having indigenous or black uh, representation on, on screen is, you know, it relates more, you relate more to them, I think.
0: No, absolutely, and and yeah. it's something that I think uh, a fellow like myself doesn't yeah. notice uh, the the idea of representation being something important. We just uh, just our last episode we had um, Amrit Carr, who was on mm-hmm. um, Ask Not, one of the short tracks, and we were talking about Indian Canadian um, representation, and this is kind of an interesting way that we can segue into other perspectives. So, yeah. gro- growing up. Watching these shows, I think you and I are around kind of the same sort of age range—teenagers in the late '90s, kind of thing. Yep. Um, we're getting older every year, man. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you know, looking at those at those characters who you say that you relate to, in what ways would you say that that relation came? As I mean, a stroke of luck. I think both Robert Beltran and Avery Brooks are are good at their craft and are, are good actors. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that that it was almost like you were going to root for them no matter what, or um, was there other ways that that they allowed you to relate to those to themselves? So, say if we were used Chicote or or Cisco, was it that you're going to root for them anyway, or are there different avenues that you found yourself relating to these characters?
2: You know, it was it was great to see an indigenous person in a command situation, you know, like to see somebody that is like you on screen, you know? So that, that's what drew me first, I guess, Uh, you know, and it's just like, it's to see them as, you know, not just a background character, you know, Mm -hmm. they were in such great positions in their show, you know?
0: Yeah. They, I wonder if though like, when we look at different, different pieces of these characters and stuff like that, you know, I feel like the actors themselves seem to sort of want to make sure that they are bringing up those sorts of things. Like I think of Avery Brooks, when he was talking about going onto the holodeck uh, and having to help Vic out and and stuff, but he was going to Las Vegas when, when most African-American people would be working in the back kitchen if they were lucky mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And, you know, watching Chakotay sort of Evolve as a character, and then also watching Robert Beltran's relationship to the show evolve as well. You know, I think it there's a lot more to sort of sit down and and unpack. And I don't know if we're going to have time in the hour that we have to do it, but um, yeah, I'm just wondering, just sort of on an open sort of sense, if you were to find yourself, and usually we'd ask this at the end, but I might want to ask that at the beginning, just for for conversation's sake. Where would you want to be on which ship? and where like what would you want to do on that ship you know if you if you could be any federation officer person or anything what era what ship and what rank
2: definitely i would be a helmsman you know (laughs) flying a ship you know like (laughs) that's awesome you know like in my real life i i work on ships and you know i i am a good helmsman you know i i i like doing stuff like that so i think that would be a position i would enjoy. Eventually, who wouldn't want to be a captain, right?
0: <laughs> I would say so.
2: Yeah, era, probably like Voyager or DS9. Era, definitely. That's great. How about you so, guys? Oof, um, I think i would want to <laughs> be
0: i would probably want to be telemetry on the uh probably the Enterprise D.
1: So, mm. i i could high five you. Um <laughs> In the past, I've given my answer to this question and I'm sticking to it. It has not changed. I want to be the traveler.
0: Oh, you and literally I, want to be the traveler.
1: Yeah, and I <laughs> want to mind face through different dimensions. And like in the in the episode, he says one of my favorite lines of track where he says, you know, the idea that thought and time start at the same place. Like mankind is not ready for something like that. And mm-hmm. like, I want to be at a place where that is what people are thinking. Hey, uh, but... I know we talked a little bit about uh, indigenous representation and track earlier. Now, there are two kinds of people, right? There are the people Mm -hmm. who, before giving a shot, they'll say, hey, I'm about to give you a shot. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to put that syringe in your arm and then it is going to go in. I'm the kind of person who's like, hey, I'm about to give you a shot and I just give it. (laughs) And then I understand that. It's painful for some people to deal with, but I would rather just rip the bandit out. So let me talk to you about this. This is something that I've always wondered about. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe I am looking into it too much or maybe I'm looking to be offended. But do you remember the episode, uh, The Paradise Syndrome of the original Series? Oh,
2: yeah. I just I actually just watched it again last night. Just to-
1: This is a painful episode for me to watch. <laughs> I yeah. cannot watch that, and like that's not that's not wrong, right? Like when I look at something that I feel like, I get mad when white people Bollywood dance, you know? Yeah, uh, I can only imagine what somebody from that culture is watching that episode. Like that's a really problematic episode, yeah.
2: Oh, oh very problematic. Um, you know, like it's it's quintessential Hollywood native. You know what I mean? Like it's just over-sensualized I guess and like just out there like with wrong like monoculture like traditions going on and like I guess I don't know it's 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 hard to explain in in one sentence you know like it's just it's very problematic
1: <laughs> Can I ask you another question about that episode? I'm sorry, Mm Barry, I know you're trying to keep it positive. Here's the question I have about that Mm -hmm. episode and then we can move on to other things simply because when it's an episode I cannot watch and I'm not even from that culture. Uh, And it's it's just a difficult problematic episode for me. Uh, But a specific aspect about that episode that has bugged me more than a lot of the things about it is the makeup that all the clearly Caucasian people put on. And the, uh, the attire they wear and the they're clearly trying to pass off as a quasi-Native American culture.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, they're doing red face, you
1: know. And so, yes, that is the equivalent of somebody doing blackface, right? Yes. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay, Yeah. And that's it's, it's just a difficult episode to watch. And uh, the, the things that are happening on the ship are completely fine. They're just trying yeah. to fight with the rock, if I remember correctly, which is, you know, that's just another classic <laughs> POS episode. Uh, yeah. But what, what happened on that planet was really problematic for me. I'm sorry, Barry. I didn't mean to detract from the from what we were trying to talk about, but that was one episode that I, I did not mention at the beginning because I realized I blocked it out of my mind. I don't even <laughs> want to think so.
0: about <laughs> it. That's, that's well, being quite of honor.
1: Well, and like you, you look at that episode
2: compared to Journey's End, like they're both pretty like Hollywood native, but like they're on a whole different plane with each other. You know what I mean? Like it's from one extreme to the other.
0: Yeah. It's like McClintock native representation, like, you know, John Wayne sort of stuff, Ray Rogers and trigger. And then it's the dances with wolves sort of trope. And yeah. in both cases, the only thing that can save the day is the arrival of the white man who naturally takes a leadership role immediately. And yeah, exactly. And and is sort of looked at in this sort of odd kind of way. And I mean, if we just take specifically Mi'kmaq society and the way the Mi'kmaq people were capable of keeping the first explorers, the colonial explorers alive for mm-hmm. <laughs> decades um, and teaching them teaching them techniques and how to live off of the land, you know, I mean, that entire story gets completely just... just uh, Photon Whitewashed. Yeah, whitewashed, completely, destroyed. And so I wonder, you know, maybe we can we can kind of look at this in a sense of Paradise Syndrome is nothing that Star Trek will ever fully be able to shake off of its, you know, shake out of its DNA, right? It's something that as Star Trek fans, everyone has to look at it and go, yep, that's a thing. But I guess what I want to sort of look at more so is, is not this monocultural sense. I want to learn a little bit about Mi'kmaq society, if we'd be able to just kind of take a little, a little off-ramp there and talk a little bit about elements of Mi'kmaq culture that you think, uh, Bryson, would be, would be important for um, people who are from other countries or settlers themselves living on, in some cases, Mi'kmaq land. Um, what are some things about Mi'kmaq society or culture would you want to share just kind of, kind of generally?
2: Well, you know, like with Mi'kmaq culture, like you know we've been here probably about over ten thousand years, right mm-hmm. uh in Mi'kmaqi. and we're some of the oldest tribes to have European contact like Europeans have been here since the early sixteen hundreds, you know, so we're kinda i guess we're survivors, you know we <laughs> we've gone through the ringer and and have still maintained most of our culture. You know, a lot of it is is gone, unfortunately, uh, due to residential schools and, and, you know, colonialism. But, uh, you know, we do have a strong culture still, and uh, there's a lot of resurgence in our language and in cultural practices. So, you know, I guess it would be that we're survivors. That that's a
0: great point. You know, it brings me actually to um, I, I took a mm-hmm. group of students to a powwow on uh, Cree territory. Okay. And, um, we were at a um, woodland Cree powwow mm-hmm. in uh, the province of Alberta, and I was watching what's called the chicken dance. And so it's a prairie chicken. Oh yes. And it it's captivating. You're watching this dancer, and he's he's dancing to the to the rhythmic beat of the of the single drum. And mm-hmm. there's you know you know, five or between five and 10 voices all around the drum and the look in his eye and the way he's moving, you, you, you can't look away. It's, it's very captivating. And I was like, wow, you know, this is amazing. I was speaking with an elder, what kind of, you know, how, how old is this dance? This is amazing. And she's like, oh, we made it up recently and, or this version of it recently. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, honey it was all destroyed it like we're we're rebuilding as we go and we're relearning our our culture and yeah. our society and so sometimes when i see indigenous culture represented on star trek in such a way i'm almost worried that that kind of further pulls the story away from it and so some some things about Mi'kmaq society that i'm trying to learn a little bit through your Mi'kmaq word of the day actually mm-hmm. is the, the the power structures are completely different. And I wonder if a Mi'kmaq person um, meeting a Starfleet captain, uh, what, what what do you think the impression would be if they were to look at a Starfleet captain and how he or she is running things? As you understand it, would you say, if I could ask that question, I'm not sure.
2: I would say like looking from a modern lens to a past lens, I would say it would be, you know, seeing the dictatorship of of it you know like i don't know how like how to describe that there's a there's no
0: consensus
2: yeah you know like in especially in in miqmal culture like you know it's a lot of like democratic you know consensus and especially like you know we're very matriarchal Mm -hmm. you know and i guess i guess they would it would just be a different structure.
1: I don't know how to describe it. If you can help me mm-hmm. answer a question that might be in the same realm. Now, we've talked about the Paradise Syndrome, we've talked about Journey's End, and yeah. things have gotten better, right? Like, the as Star Trek went on, they're not even close to perfect, but they've gotten better. What do you think is a good Star Trek story that we can tell that is not the the white man liberator narrative, but something that complements Star Trek as it stands and also respects and showcases the Native American culture. There, there have to be stories that we could tell in that regard, right?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Like um, I think what basically like is the irk about indigenous people in sci-fi is that it is monoculture it's monolithic in in North America there's over 500 dif- distinct tribes you look at those few episodes throughout the whole franchise that are indigenous based yeah and and you look at them and they're pretty like one layered but you look at the fictional cultures that they have there's so many layers to them especially with like spock he is a, f- a fake person Of (laughs) culture, you know, like, and they have everything right down to the T, like, you know, of of their culture, of their language, of everything. And then they put out this person and they came in, distinguish which tribe he's in.
0: Well, that might be the strange new that might be the strange new worlds that 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 Star Trek has to pull itself out of right yeah. uh, the idea that that it can it can create something like the Klingon Empire and and their entire culture and a language with with verbs mm-hmm. and phonetics and everything like that and and yet they they can't distinguish exactly who Chakotay would belong yeah. to tribe, right? They, 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 sort of hint at Mayan, I think from time to time, but at other times he comes yeah. off kind of more Apache, Arapaho, um, mm-hmm. even Choctaw to some degree. And then they, they, they flip it back around. And so, yeah, he sort yeah. of, sort of, he sort of travels. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, he's, he's fluid tribe, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tribe fluid. And, and I yeah. guess I, you know, sometimes the little voice in the back of my head says, well, something's better than nothing, isn't it? Uh, what yeah. would you say to that?
2: You know, I say that all the time too, like, you know, something is better than nothing, you know, like and you look at that in as in LGBTQ like representation as well, something's better than nothing. You know, back in the 90s we got Dax kissing another lady and yeah. ev- everybody's all up in arms. Now everybody's all up in arms with uh Stamets. Yeah. You know? So like it's I guess it's something is better than nothing, but at the same time it's like why do we have to compromise with that? Why can't it be more? sometimes and correct
0: yeah, sometimes I worry that it's it's sort of the the filter of whatever lawyer or person who's sort of mm-hmm. making sure that different boxes get ticked off and you know they don't they don't rile yeah. people up too much and sometimes I wonder, like would the Paradise Syndrome look different if the story that was actually intended to be told got told by the people who wanted to tell it before it kind of moved through those sort of corporate filters um, yeah and and I mean wondering about that is is one thing when sometimes you kind of have to ask for um, forgiveness rather than permission. Uh, I often wonder yeah. so I guess you know we we've talked a bit about the um, the idea of monoculture and the idea that that someone who would really truly represent an, an Indigenous character, would be able to identify where exactly they came from or what, what group that they became from. Now, you know, looking at how, how we portray, even in Canadian history, Indigenous people as a monoculture, we talk about this term decolonize, decol, you know, take away the colonial uh, sense. Long story short, do you still think that Star Trek is, in and of itself, a colonial representation of humanity?
2: Short answer, yes. You just look at like how How they represent the expansion of humanity, you know, like they're always going to one, one place and colonizing more and colonizing that. And yeah, basically, like, you know, like, you just look at Journey's End, where, where they're still trying to get away from, from colonization, they were driven off their home world to find a better place. And then they end up in Cardassian territory, you know? Uh, where there, it's another dictatorship, really. Where every, uh, you everyone's know, planting flags. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and they just want to survive. They just want to live, you know, live off the land.
0: I often sort of think to myself about what Indigenous values in space travel would look like. And the big question that came to me was, is exploration and colonization, must they go hand in hand? So can you be an explorer and not a colonizer?
1: I'm sure you can. There are recordings all over time when people from different cultures would go and all we have are these journals of them experiencing that culture. And then Mm -hmm. either they decided to stay as guests and assimilate to the already existing culture or they left going back to their homeland. Right. So, yeah, yeah, of course you can be an explorer and not a colonizer. And to answer the question you had asked earlier, Barry, Star Trek is a great franchise. is, is still very forward thinking and better than a lot of the television that is out there today. Mm-hmm. And its intentions are honorable, but it cannot help itself, but be a colonial narrative show, because exactly. at the core of it, it is a show about a government that is saying that we have all these rules and regulations. So when we go to a place, of course, we would know better than the heathens that are there. Like, that's where the show started. And then I think as time went on, especially with Deep Space Nine, when the narrative shifts away from Starfleet and it shifts in into this Bajoran culture, which to me has a lot of shades of the Indian culture, not the Native mm-hmm. American, the South Asian Indian culture. I mean, they they pray to their gods, they have idols, they all put on face makeup, they have gratitude festivals when they post fireworks. So I think the show itself has gotten to a place where it is becoming more and more about not being that colonial narrative show. Like, even if you look at the latest season of Star Trek Picard, somebody, I, I I think it was the left page part where they were mentioning about how, you know, it can't help itself but be a show about a white man like going to a place and saying, I know better than everybody, please let me help you. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, whether you agree with that or not, and I don't think it's necessarily that blanket, black or white, but I think the show itself has to, find a place to not keep going there. And that's why I really uh, respect season one and two of Discovery and the three J.J. Abrams movies that came out because they're just about, we're going to shoot things in space. Like that's what we're doing. And then, yeah, we also have these inward freedoms where, you know, there are men who are couples and then there are gender fluid people. So I think that is more of the direction that if Star Trek wants to keep surviving and not be in a place where we have to do episodes like this, it has to just keep going into mm-hmm. places where we're going to wear costumes and we're going to shoot things and we're going to find out what happens. And then <laughs> while also pushing the good inward freedom stuff about, you know, we're also going to have a gay couple we're going to have a black captain or someone who's not a captain. And then he, she's about to become a captain at some point. Like, I don't know. Maybe I said a lot, and that doesn't answer your question, or maybe it just does. <laughs> I- if,
0: if I was to sum up, I'm I'm, guessing, I'm I'm hearing basically that Star Trek has always been a product of the society that it came out of, it and will always have that. Yes. And, it, and it, it, it in and of itself is a self-correcting franchise given its message of wanting to be diverse and wanting to be open. It hasn't gotten it a hundred percent correct, but I would say Western society in general is having problems with getting it correct. Uh, is that, is that a fair sort of way of looking at it?
2: I agree. Like it's ever evolving and it's ever evolving to better itself and, and the franchise, you know, like we look at today's society, you know, we're de-evolving, you know, in our society at the moment, you know, with all the, all the race, relations and everything really but as a franchise as a as franchise it's always evolving like you know and you can see it with especially with the latest series you know like how much better like it encompasses everybody
0: yeah. I mean, getting getting a a sort of matter of fact um, LGBT couple, I think, was really great. There mm-hmm. was never any like, oh, you two are gay. It's just like, oh, have you met these guys? They're great. They're a couple. Let's let's talk and learn about them and stuff. I was kind of miffed. With what happened with Culber there, but I'm glad that they uh, they righted that ship as well. Um, yeah, uh, Shashank and I actually were fortunate enough to meet both uh, both gentlemen at uh, at oh, nice. Star Trek Las Vegas uh, two years ago. It would have been, and they are a delight. Um, I mean, a delight in the sense of like I spoke to them for like maybe 15 seconds, but it
2: was a, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a good fraction of a of a of a minute. But um, so. You know, we, we're on this kind of talk of of Star Trek hasn't quite gotten it right yet. Star Trek is still kind of moving things forward, though. And I want to maybe talk a little bit about technology. And I kind of want to, I'm, I'm going to sort of bury the lead a bit, little bit here, but I'm I'm of the opinion that technological advancement doesn't mean social advancement. And, and what you'd said, mm-hmm. Bryson, the idea that we're kind of in a, a state of de-evolution. And I would say it's because the economic system that we hold to known as capitalism is in decay. And when it goes into decay, it becomes fascism. Um, yeah. And we're kind of seeing that happen in real time. And I'm kind of freaked out by it. But outside of that... Is there anything? And again, I might be putting you on the spot, but you've you've showcased um, some of the some of the the artwork you have done um, that is Migma. What are some kind of technological things about Migma culture and society that you find cool and interesting? That you think is kind of neat? It could be knowledge, it could be a way of knowing, or it could be some kind of neat neat thing.
1: Hey, also while you're answering that, just because we're Uh, here and I'm sure there are people who'd be interested I know I am if you could also tell us if there are places where we could read stories about the Mi'kmaq like are there movies that explore it are there uh, songs or things on YouTube that we can find and learn more about the culture from
2: yeah like you know like I especially with me like you know I am learning my language because I'm not I've never spoken it uh you know it's just something that we never grow up with so like you know, a great resource I use is, is uh, all the apps, you know, like on my phone uh, that, that uh, have our, our language. And like, you know, like we have several different dialects. So like, you know, it's, it's nice to see that there are apps or like websites that have the different dialects that you can see and hear, you know, uh, but there's a lot of great Maui Omis. are, are, powwows basically that are on youtube you know uh, a lot of great songs you know like one of uh one of my cousins she did uh blackbird uh you know the um the song mm-hmm. uh she she translated that into into Migma and sang it and got got to sing with uh sir paul mccartney wow yeah so can,
0: can we add the link in the description on that one would you be able to yeah yeah okay beauty well we'll yeah. make sure that ends up in in the description because that's yeah. got that's got to be seen that's really cool
2: yeah so you know like i guess there's a lot of resources out there but it's, i don't know just like i'm so used to use them so i can't like <laughs> you know get them off of my right to, off the top of my head
0: I'll be honest. Following you on Twitter has been extremely helpful. Um, yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've, there's a couple of uh, of folks who who have been kind enough to allow me to sort of tag along in their conversations. Um, sometimes I'll even step in if if there's a fight uh, to yeah. kind of come the from settler, the settler perspective to tell them to to back up and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing is. You know, it is it, it's an organic sort of thing where I'm not I can't really say when I learned what, but it's mm-hmm. sort of kind of happened, I guess is the best way to put it.
2: Yeah. So I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is, is follow
0: follow native Twitter, everyone. Get on get on and, <laughs> and have a look and, and meet people and talk to them and listen, listen, listen. I mean, don't just say follow native
1: Twitter, just give no. them somewhere they can go. Follow Bryson. What is your Twitter, my friend?
2: Uh it's Arnell Labrador. There I we go, by, guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My my mother's maiden
0: name. Nice. We'll 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 repeat that at the end of the episode as well for sure. Yeah. So my my other question was, what are some some things about um, you know Migma technology? And I'm I'm going to call it technology because I in my you know again kind of learning through um, through. Elders, and through um, fortunately, I was able to do some research uh, at a place called Fort Edmonton Park. Uh, mm-hmm. I got I got to be the mountie there, and I got to learn how much the mounties sucked um, <laughs> <laughs> historically. But I also learned a lot about Cree society, and there's a lot of really neat and novel and frankly just sort of awe inspiring uh, things about. Cree society and their technology. And I, I would use it that way. So for instance, just for an example, they would burn wild grasslands on the prairies mm-hmm. in huge areas. And that would control the movement of the bison. And these yeah. are, you know, these are, These are herds of millions and millions of individuals, and they were able to, through care and through monitoring and observing their their territory, not only manage the direction of these entire herds, they were able to help sustain them and keep them going. We, we can't do that right now. We just physically no. can't. And so like I would consider that technology. Um, uh, so just to give you sort of an idea there, is there anything that, that off the top of your head in, in, in Mi'kmaq history or, or culture that you're aware of that you're kind of like, Oh, huh, that's neat. I, I really like that.
2: I guess the biggest one for me would be, um, you know, our, our technology uh, around the, the ocean, you know, cause we Nova Scotia is, three fourths of it is surrounded by, by water, you know, so we are a seafaring tribe. So, you know, we have canoes that were built, you know, that were huge ocean going canoes, you know, Hmm. so they were built specifically for ocean voyaging, you know, like it would need nothing to go from Nova Scotia to Newfoundland in them, you know, and they were, they were built specifically for, you know, taking waves over the sides, you know, so like the sides would be built up more, you know, kind of like a, I guess a hump in the middle. Really? Know? So like, yeah, you know, and we did a lot of navigation, you know, like there's a lot of petroglyphs that are constellations and, you know, a lot of, a lot of our stories too are, are about traveling, about going from place to place. So I guess uh, our traveling, yeah. our, technology would be the best <laughs> idea. Really cool.
1: Yeah. I think a good, a good source of reference if people want to understand the South Asian perspective on technology in Star Trek is, I don't mean to beat the same drum, but the Bejo storyline is pretty, uh, it's not accurate, but it goes in this in the trajectory that you would think is similar to what would happen if the Indian culture had a lot of say in the way technology was going. You know, it's, like India has a space research agency, it's called ISRO. Our ancient texts have this thing called the Pushpak Viman, which is really the world's first recorded uh, incident of flight. Like they, somebody, they drew out blueprints of what a flight would look like. So all that technology stuff is in there. The idea is how the technology is being used would be much more of the concern of people, especially mm-hmm. that from where we come from and where pricing uh, comes from, like to different extents, but people that have been colonized, they know what it's like when technology is used against you mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: as a people. Like we know the horrible things that happened to them. A lot of people know about the terrible things that happened when we were fighting to get uh, our freedom. And it kind of goes back to the point you were making earlier in which you know technological advancement doesn't necessarily mean social advancement. If you were to actually draw a trajectory, you'd find that the relationship is inverse, that as technology advances, society in a way continues to de-advance because it stops being an equal level paying field. And then it becomes over and over, it becomes this this situation of highs and lows and the middle class disappears and then it's people who have no money and then people who have all the money. Like if you think about the richest people today, everybody, the examples that come to your mind are Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. And what are the three known for? It's technology. They've they've done different things in, in technology. So if you were to look at the South Asian culture perspective, it would be hesitation along those lines is, before we get into technology, how exactly is it uh, being phased out? And then, of course, we would use the examples from Hindu culture about the gods and the way our stories were told. But I think it would be as a culture because we were also colonialized or colonized, my bad.
2: And you look at it too, like, you know, not just specifically for Mi'kmaq, uh, but for like indigenous people in general. We had a lot of technology that that settlers did not have. However, you know, like we use that technology to be stewards of the of the land, not to be the ruler of the land. You know, mm-hmm. so we were all about sustainability.
0: Yeah, and that sort of sustainable approach and Shashank used talking about how the technology is used, I think, is important because mm-hmm. I, immediately when you said how the technology is used, I thought of Oppenheimer when the bomb went off. He said, mm-hmm. he said, he quoted Shiva from the Bhagavad Gita. I probably pronounced that improperly, but he said, I am become death destroyer of worlds. And fitting that he used an Indian proverb for that. And then I think in terms of sustainability, I often wonder what a solar system. Let's say if, if instead of Star Trek we had uh, uh, the Expanse, but it was indigenous um, societies in the Expanse doing their thing. You know, they would create systematic, like like they did on Turtle Island, North America. They mm-hmm. created these vast trade networks, and yes, of course they had conflict. Of course there were disruptions and and problems yeah. and stuff. But you know, they were able to maintain in a way as, as I understand historically to never put themselves in a position of going completely extinct. And I think that's, that's an important thing is, is if if you're not, it's about, it's, it's not about getting what you want. It's about wanting what you've got, right. Uh, To quote Sheryl Crow from (laughs) I'm going to soak up the sun, but I think think it's, it's that sort of idea where, you know, using the technology is one thing and then are you, you doing and using it in a sustainable way? I mean, I think about the warp, the warp speed limit that they talk about in TNG and then immediately yeah. forget about it because it, it, it really ties your hands up. and And yeah, I mean, you know, our overuse of fossil fuels has put us in a position that when we have to stop and it's going to have to stop soon, um, it's going to be pretty inconvenient for a lot of people. And we can't just write it out of our, our franchise story as a society. We've got to do something about it.
1: Anyway, I'm, I'm going to... Minor correction. Uh, yeah. I Those were all great points. Just say no. It was Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita who said that oh, Shiva was not in the Bhagavad Gita. No, you're Krishna right. Krishna oh. was the author of the Bhagavad Gita. But <laughs> that was it. That was the really minor... I was like, if I don't, pick if I don't pick it up and correct oh. it, my fellow brown people will hate me.
0: <laughs> no, thank you for doing that. So is Krishna, but isn't no Shiva is an avatar of Vishnu, right?
1: Well so there is the in Uh-oh. our uh, in our religion there's also the Holy Trinity. We call them the Tridev. So you have Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma. Vishnu is the creator. Brahma is the writer or the author or the the one who the manifestor. So he's the one who decides what happens between creation and destruction. And then you have Shiva, who's the destroyer, Ah. Uh, but Krishna, you're right, is the avatar of Vishnu. And it's, there are different philosophies, but one way to look at it is people think everyone is Vishnu. So everyone is in Vishnu, which is why when Krishna says, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, he's also kind of quoting Shiva who is supposed to be a part of him. Ah. So that's it, it gets complex. Like, we had the Vaishnavas, who are the people who believe that everything is in Vishnu. So, essentially, somebody who says uh, Tridev, the Trinity is actually all Vishnu. And then there are the Shaivas, who believe they're all Shiva. So, there is like our, uh, the Hindu culture, there is like a 300 year period in between, I want to say, like second and fifth century BC when people across the land were fighting over it, whether it was Shiva or Vishnu. So it was wow. like our version of crusades that happened within our land. Yeah. Huh. Sorry. Anyway, that, no, that goes away from the other That's point. cool.
0: So, you know, we're saying that, that, that being it's socially advanced is, is maybe <clears throat> a big step um, for all of us. And mm-hmm. kind of looking at Star Trek as it's, as it's coming forward, what, what keeps you? What keeps you with Star Trek? What keeps you coming back? Because, you know, you, you've, we've, we've talked Star Trek before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what keeps you there?
2: Basically, what keeps me there is always, it's always in reinventing itself. It's, I guess it's a microcosm of of what, what society is today, you know, and how we can always better ourselves, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah,
0: no, it definitely does. <laughs> Just the idea that, you know, as a mirror, Star Trek is a mirror to our current society. Star Trek is always trying to to make itself... Um, better make itself stronger, um, make itself more inclusive to the people who it hasn't included over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you What would you want to see if, if say, Indigenous people were to be represented again in Star Trek? What would be? Let's say Alex Kurtzman calls you up and is like, "Bryson, I'm I'm bringing you to Hollywood. You got to help me out." What, what sort of things would you, and I mean, you can't speak for all indigenous people whatsoever. Oh. So this is very much a personal objective question, not subjective.
1: Um, <laughs> Wait, are you saying that all my opinions in Polytrex and other podcasts I've shared are not the same opinions of the 1.2 billion people in India? <laughs> you know, there you go. I'm saying it. Hot take. So Bryce, uh, what would you think you'd
0: want to see?
2: Well, uh, the elimination of monoculture. Be like, hey, we want to feature a Mi'kmaq character. Let's get a Mi'kmaq expert on there. You know, like, be on the show, be in the writing, do all aspects of, of that, you know, to actually specifically tie down that character as a specific tribe or, you know, a specific person, you know, instead of just having that monoculture bring this aspect of that tribe, bring that, that aspect of that tribe, you know, and mash it all into that one person.
1: What do you think of this episode idea for Star Trek Strange New Worlds? Uh, the Strange New Worlds Enterprise crew ends up at the Guardian of Forever and they get a chance to go back in time. And they're at the moment, which essentially is the beginning of the genocide of the Native American people. And then they have to decide whether they'll stay there and stop the genocide or whether they'll allow time to go forward so they can eventually get to them having to reunite with their crew. <laughs> uh,
2: well, you know, it, it would
1: be. Like, that would be a good episode, right? Like, it you would watch be. It.
2: Like, but do you think.
1: Copyright Shashank Kavaru and Bryson uh, 2020, <laughs> just so just, uh, Polytrax, Trek Geeks, all of, all of the legal stuff.
2: But do you think, like, Starfleet would exist? No. If, no, it wouldn't. You know, like, you look at that episode in DS9 um, with the Bell Riots, right? Starfleet did not exist for a brief moment in that episode. So, like, if they went back in time and stopped colonialism in in North America, I think Starfleet would not exist at all.
0: And then maybe, maybe to kind of look at it from like looking at it from my perspective, sometimes I wonder if say I was a Starfleet captain and I got to go back in time and and basically Mm -hmm. stop colonialism altogether. I mean, how couldn't I? I mean, it would be something I would be compelled to do, but at the same time where we are right now and knowing that that's such an impossibility writing out that future to, to sort of create a, a, well, it didn't happen anyway. So therefore we're absolved kind of, kind of thing might, might take away the idea that that I think the other thing that star trek and people of a settler background need to think about is what sorts of pressure should they be putting on their society to push for better representation, better understanding and better connections with indigenous people. And I think that's that ultimately is is something that that is truly in the in the very you know genetics of starfleet itself it it has to be that way because if it isn't then i don't want any part of it i think is mm-hmm. kind of how i would say that so maybe to kind of round off the the conversation and to sort of look look ahead and everything like that you know we've got a lot of different star trek tv shows that are going to be coming out a lot of new things in the franchise we've talked about what maybe we'd want to see kind of moving forward uh, and all that sort of stuff So Bryson, you know, we, we talked a bit about, um, you know, obviously Stamets and Culber being LGBTQ represent representers. And, and to some degree, I kind of think to myself, like, ah, you know, it's good that they're, that they're, that they're just a gay couple and that's great. And that's so wonderful. And we can just say, Oh yeah, they're just a gay couple. It's all good. You know? I often wonder if like, what's a, what is a trans captain going to look like? You know, if they were someone who is transsexual, who doesn't actually want to say, you know, go through uh, the transition, um, you know, mm-hmm. gender reaff- reaffirmation, they're happy with their, their physical situation. They don't experience that kind of dysphoria. So they don't need to go through it. They can just be themselves. I wonder, would you think that something like that society would be ready for an envelope pushing technological advancement of a person like that specifically, and I mean we're, I don't know, I'm not trans no one else here is specifically trans themselves as identified, but using that maybe as kind of like a, a, a launching pad um, to use more science fiction <laughs> connections. <laughs> you know, how far do you think we should push the envelope moving forward? Should we just go full bore and just see what happens? Or do we still need to exercise this weird form of caution?
2: Well, You know, that is um, a good question. I guess it boils down to like the fan base, you know, like what, what they are comfortable with, you know, like you, you look a lot on, on a lot of the forums or like even in group chats, like, you know, I play Star Trek online and you look at uh, some of the chat feeds and there's like just horrible things being said. And you're like, why are you part of this friend? Like, why do you like this franchise if you're you know if you're homophobic if you're racist i i guess you know they can push the envelopes as much as they want you know like and i i'm all for that it's just like how how much do you want um the fan base to to i guess push back
0: do you think the star trek fan base could be ready to mount the hills of defense against the onslaught from from yeah the the reactionary quote unquote trek fans who might have a problem with sort of you know i mean i guess like i don't want to just shoehorn in stuff right like that's not
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's not that's not doing us any favors right like and, yeah. and, and sometimes i worry that that it's almost like they're ticking off boxes and i don't want that to happen yeah. for characters to be compelling but yeah you, do you, do you see this as as a necessary go, you know, a necessary place to go. And as Star Trek fans, you know, do you think we've got what it takes to, to defend and, and, and push for that sort of thing? I I guess like there's something inherently activist I find within the Star Trek community and it's sort of laying dormant.
2: Yeah. It's like, it's, it's where you don't like, they want to normalize it, but don't have, I guess the resources to do it. If you know what I mean,
0: like the cultural resources.
2: Yeah. You know, like you look at, um, first contact, right. Mm-hmm. Hawk was supposed to be an out character, but they never showed it on screen, you know? What? Yeah. And they killed you him. You know that? Yeah. And they killed him. <laughs> like he was supposed to have a partner and, and stuff like that. And, and then you look at Stamets now, like you see that and it is normalized.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, but you know, there, I guess there's, So much backlash with that because of how polarized our society is right now. 10 years from now, it's going to be nothing, you know, to see gay characters on there, to see trans characters on there, to see black native captains, you know. So I think they got to push the envelope all the time to, I guess, normalize it,
1: if that makes sense. Yeah. To answer your question, I don't know if. If Star Trek doesn't push the envelope, I don't know who is left to push it. There is no, for all its faults and all its flaws and all the things that we talked about, there is no franchise in in this planet that exists that forcefully compels people to think about inclusivity and Mm -hmm. things like pushing the envelope like Star Trek. Before Star Trek was there, nobody was doing a let that be your last battlefield. You know, nobody was mm-hmm. doing uh, far beyond the stars. Like, there, were, there was nobody sitting down writing stories uh, or on the that siege, scale. Seizure yeah, of yeah. The AR
2: 151
1: is that one? Yeah. And yeah. there weren't people doing it. So I don't know if Star Trek doesn't do the all out trans captain, Native American woman. Like, if they don't show the people, I don't mm-hmm. know which franchise will. And I think inherently I am enjoying all the let's shoot things at, at, at people and bl- let's blow stuff up. That is fun. But I do think like we need a show that does push the envelope. And it fo- un- whether Star Trek wants to appreciate it or not, in favor of numbers, in favor of worrying about who is going to offend. If Star Trek doesn't push the envelope, who will? There, there is no yeah. show that will.
2: Yeah. and And you have to. Have the good and bad when you push the envelope. You know what I mean. Like, like just look at—I don't know if you guys saw the backlash with, um, you know, at the end of Picard where mm. uh, Seven is holding briefly holding hands with uh, Rafi. Yeah. You know, like I got in a couple arguments on on YouTube about that. Like, you know, they're like, "Oh, she's an established character. She's straight. She's do-. like." It was never. It was never said. In canon, what sexuality seven of nine is, you know, and we're just projecting our heteronormat normality on on her. People straight evolve. straight
0: isn't
1: a default.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, and especially in the twenty fourth century yeah. or twenty
1: fifth, I guess now. Yeah, <laughs> so I might have been I, one of those people, but I <laughs> keep that <laughs> argument aside for another day.
0: Uh, but <laughs> like I said. But, but I would say it, it, it has to do with how we storytell it, right? So yeah. they've just put in a little, oh, look at that, right? There's a little twinkle in the eye of the story now that, that says that this is something that they're going to explore in the next season. If they my, don't, then I'll be frustrated. Like, yeah, 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 my, like, my, my problem
1: is that it seems to be, I can forgive it once, but they did it in Star Trek Beyond with Sulu at the end, where it's like, oh, look, they're they're clearly embracing each other there we go that's a couple you see it right like do you see it do you see that we did that thing where they're like you know it right like everybody who's watching it you know they're gay right i wanted to watch it like that's what it felt like to me. and then they did the same thing at the end of this season with picard where it's like oh see we're doing a thing we didn't have representation so we're doing a little thing can you see it can you but do you watch it we're putting the camera on it come on watch it quick there we go it's gone now like that that's the problem. Is that's not pushing the envelope. That's saying, uh, ah, ah, can I? I'm gonna push. Am I going to push the end? Ah, am I? Am I pushing it? No, never mind. Like that was yeah. one of my anyway. But that's not the argument
2: I, here. Yeah, no, see, my my argument with that was like, hey, like, haven't you ever like just patted a, a same sex person's hand, like the at the end of a day? You know, like <laughs> that's how I think. You know, as as a gay person, like to see something like that, I'm just like, it's just saying, hey, good job, like to your friend. <laughs> yeah. So like, unless it's unless it's shown on screen, like, you know, hey, I have feelings for you, you have feelings for me, blah, blah, blah. It's just contact. Yeah. If that but, makes sense.
0: But I would also say that, you know, if, if someone coughs in a movie, you know, they're going to die, right? There's always that like, oh, we'll yeah. make it all the way to the end. They're like, sure, we will. Sure, we will. And you're like, oh, yeah. no, they're, they're doomed. Um, <laughs> and so I think, you know, them, them putting that out there, as Shashanka said, maybe it is kind of like floating a balloon out there to see mm-hmm. if, if people attack it or not. Yeah. Um, but that's, but I would also agree with Shashank's point where he's basically saying, what I understand it is that like,
2: this has a points for brownie points
0: yeah this hasn't been woven into the story like i want to see a romance develop i want to see if this is where you're taking this then then give us the whole thing and normalize it and make it make it real and and for anyone who says you know like oh seven's an established character and you know it was overturned that she was straight before um again gender isn't like it's not cement it's not black and white no you can you can move it's okay yeah um
1: like, here's here's what it feels like to me. I don't feel like it's pushing the envelope when they do those things. It's the man the, the man wearing a suit, pull it, putting his hand into the, the breast pocket and pulling the envelope out. Am I going to take it? Am I going to push it? Do you see it? Am I going to push it? No, never mind. I want the numbers. Like, th- this might be a radical thing to say. But, you know, we've not seen like a transsexual like a nude scene, right? Like a nude sex scene that is in the pop culture. We have not seen it yet. Like, and I don't know if a show like Star Trek doesn't do it. I don't know who will, because in 1966, somebody would have said, Hey, you know what I've never seen is like a white person kiss a black person on screen. Mm -hmm. And Star Trek did it. Like if Star Trek doesn't do it, that's my, that's my argument is that if they don't do it, if they don't push the envelope, there is nobody else that is going to push the envelope
2: yeah I totally agree with that
0: yeah and and I mean you know even think about like a command structure that would be something outside of the the Western militaristic paradigm right where say there's there's a different captain for different scenarios right like I think about um I grew up near not not too close to but near the poundmaker um reserve mm-hmm. on the alberta saskatchewan border poundmaker yeah. Uh, I think is a hero of of history and I think did an, an, an amazing amount of things. He, he, he gave his life for his people but we have to remember, he was a peace chief, not a war chief. Fine Day was his war chief. Fine Day was the guy who beat the Mounties at the Battle of Cutknife Hill in 1885 and if no one knows what I'm talking about, don't worry, there's a really good Wikipedia page on it. You can check it out. <laughs> um, but just long and short of it is you know, maybe command structure would look different and I wonder if that could be explored through Star Trek. And if it is a little bit jarring and if it does take us out of our you know suspension of disbelief to some degree to kind of look at this thing um shashank you make a good point when william shatner and nichelle nichols kissed on camera it did it pushed the envelope it really really did and yeah i think that's that's kind of the direction trek should take and i think as fans i'm planning to be vocal about it
2: Mm -hmm. i think too with like it moving from mainstream TV to like CBS all access, they do have, I guess, more flexibility to push the envelope and to, to show stuff that are quote unquote controversial. So I think, I think it's going to be exciting to see what they're going to be doing.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm excited that they're going to explore um, and, and see, and see kind of new places. So one thing that I've always found with, with Star Trek is, is kind of looking into why they name ships the, the names they do. And, you know, we would be remiss not to talk about, you know, say the, uh, the, the crazy horse, for instance, the, uh, the, the, I believe that was a Excelsior class. Um, What, um, what comes to mind when, when you see those names represented on ships?
2: It's good and bad, you know, like you just kind (laughs) of, kind of go back to appropriation and that's a whole, different conversation to have you see that especially in car designs too like you know like the jeep cherokee yeah. you know and stuff like that so you know it's like hey let's let's honor you by uh by naming a ship name class after you, you know <laughs> yeah. like you know like you've got the cheyenne class of ships i know there's the tecumseh there's yep. another another uh ship and tecumseh if i remember correctly, was a uh, War chief on the lakes yes i believe yes yeah so you know like it it's kind of cool to see that but it's like yeah as we as you were saying like you know like what were they thinking in the in the writing room when when they're like oh let's let's use this name you know was it an actual just a, a real thought or was it just like hey let's just make it this name because it sounds cool
0: yeah, and 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 again, maybe it is that kind of what what Shashank was talking about with regard to um, taking a picture. You know, look at the picture. Look mm-hmm. at the picture. Look at what we've we've got here. And maybe it's that kind of passive appropriation that that you know, you know, we we can fight a lot of a lot of battles, and there's hills that we want to and not want to die on as as progressive yeah. people who watch Star Trek. But I do think that that it's at least worth. A, a, second, a second glance, because, you know, when they do pick these names, these colonial, uh, these, these names of people who were the victims of colonialism, mm-hmm. um, and now their names are plastered on ships that are arguably colonial, or at least made by a series or a franchise that is still holding on to a lot of its colonial vestiges. Um, yeah, I, I do. I wonder what exactly they're trying to get at. What do you think, what do you guys think they're trying to, trying to say here in, in sort of a passive way?
2: Well, you know, like looking at the crazy horse, like you know, fictionalizing it, I guess I would be very interested to be on that ship and looking at what their logo looks like, you know, on the ship. Is it a quintessential headdress, red, red guy in a headdress, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, are they doing the tomahawk chop? You know, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, yeah, you see that in today's society that like, oh we're doing this because we're honoring you you know honoring the the native americans that don't exist anymore and you're like uh hi we're still here <laughs> and so so it sort of
0: relegates it to the past then doesn't it it sort of says yes yeah. this is good and done and we can just again it's like a box yeah. gets fixed
2: yeah yeah it's like hey look there we're honored you're honored. Yeah.
0: I, I can't help but but find a connection sometimes as well to um, that indigeneity. And maybe it comes from Journey's End. And we, we get a little bit of this from the Trexpertise um, YouTube video that was out uh, a couple of mm-hmm. years ago about, about Native people in, in Star Trek. The Maquis. So when, when we look at, at the Maquis and their their desire to not only resist Cardassians, mm-hmm. but also resist the Federation, I wonder if there's something of an Indigenous spirit in that desire to resist an anti-colonial spirit. I, I mean, I don't think you have to be indigenous to be anti-colonial or anti-imperial. No, no, you don't. But but I wonder if if there is sort of um, a bit of the indigenous people's stories. And I would argue maybe the same for India as well, those who resisted British um, rule as well. Do you find any, any sort of connective tissue
2: there, either of you? I do, for sure. Like, you know, like you look at the Maquis and it is... It came out way before, like you know, the "Idol No More" movement and and stuff like that. So, like, it, it kind of like showcases that. Well, not to co-opt it, but like you know, to showcase that indigenous activism still takes place in that universe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's pretty cool to see that there. It there's a lot of similarities with indigenous. Activism, indigenous decolonization with the Maquis, you know, the resistance.
0: Yeah. I'm very frustrated with what happens to them in the end with the Dominion just literally wiping them out. And it's kind of like, well, at least we were letting you stay alive. And I feel like that maybe kind of got, I wouldn't mind untying that knot and and having another look at it.
1: What about you, Shashank? I mean, for my people, of course, we shared a lot of similarities with the, way we got rid of colonialism with a lot of mm-hmm. the world and the way we fought back and the consequences we had. I mean, to me, the Maquis are very much like space socialist revolutionaries, you know, and yeah. their ideas are kind of honorable, but the, the actions they go about it there, that can get gray. Like India had a whole socialist revolutionary movement. I've talked about Bhagat Singh on the show before, but Bhagat Singh is one of the most popular figures. He uh, was known for, uh, arranging, uh, the most notorious thing he did is he arranged a secret mission to go bomb the parliament at the time the British were here in India. And uh, that was what he was hung for. But that eventually created a movement that added to what Gandhi was doing. And then it led to us getting our freedom. So, yeah, I do I do see uh, with the stories that they tell about the Marquis. To an extent, the what happens with Bajor, the way Bajor's, Bajorans fight the Cardassians during the occupation as they call it like those stories also resonate with me because it's clearly very much a story about people who live on a land that has been overtaken by people who come from outside and they have superior technology Mm -hmm. so they think they know better you know it's very similar to the story that happens within you
0: there's a lot to think about here and I've got to go to dinner pretty quick here. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm upset that I'm going to have to go, uh, folks. But yeah, I guess... Well, we
2: could always do another episode.
0: We, we might have to. And, and maybe yeah. kind of bounce off of this a little bit because I just don't think that we can fully and I think maybe at the start of this episode Shashank and I bombarded you Bryson with questions because <laughs> I think that's another interesting point and it, it's maybe my experience is I always kind of come off like a goof or a doorknob when I'm asking um, people who I hold in high regard about their own culture and society because I know a lot of where I can seem too excited or too oh wow and, and mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, the best way to put it is is I really do feel the separation. Um, as a white Canadian settler, I can feel that separation every single day of my life between myself mm. and the Indigenous people who I grow up around and interact with. It's a social yeah. separation. It's a social barrier. And when I feel like those barriers are down... I just want to I just I, I I'm rattling with with energy and excitement because I want to ask every question at once, and it becomes really difficult not to so I don't think this conversation actually should end we should we should maybe put this out there, um, see if folks on Twitter want to ask and talk more questions, see sort of what the the Trek geeks group want to talk about about it and, and kind of move on from there because yeah, yeah we, we can't we can't leave this here we have to we have to keep talking about more things because I think more needs to be said. What about you Shashank? Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Cool. Well, in the meantime, Bryson, uh, we did mention this earlier, but uh, you're also known for the Mi'kmaq Word of the Day, and mm-hmm. I enjoy it quite a bit. It's on Twitter. <laughs> uh, once again, how can people uh, how can people find you, and, and what can they expect if they uh, get to uh, get to meet you uh, on the social medias?
2: Well, um, expect uh, a lot of curveballs, I guess. Um, you know, like I, I sometimes my Twitter is a hot mess. I'm not gonna lie. Like, you know, I'm always tweeting about, actually, I kind of like really treat it as a diary, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm always moving on to something. And, but you know, like the, the main things that I really tweet about is, is about Mi'kmaq, a culture about reconnecting with my culture, because I, I don't, I never grew up in it. I wasn't allowed to learn it when I was a child. So it's, it's all about reconnecting and especially for being like, for me, like I'm gay, but my tribe has no ceremony around that because it was taken out of us through colonization, you know? So it's, it's about reconnecting with me being a, a Mi'kmaq two spirit person uh, in my culture, trying to find out what, I am, you know, so it's it's a big journey, my Twitter is a big journey of that of, of trying to reconnect, I guess so, and a lot of Star Trek too you know, That's I'm all,
0: a, yeah. it, It's a story of exploration though, and I think as Star yeah. Trek fans we have to love 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 exploration and, and like yeah. I said, it's been, it's been really uh, enjoyable, getting to yeah. sort of explore Mi'kmaq society and culture through you it's, uh, you. it's some of the best education uh, a person can get
1: Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, We look forward to doing this in the future. Cannot wait. Yeah.
2: Yes. Thank you guys for having me on. I enjoyed this a lot. <laughs>
0: And the Trek Geeks Network is proud to have Fansets as one of its sponsors. You can check out Fansets' amazing line of pins and collectibles over at their website at fanset, or www.fansets.com. You can check out some new pins that have just come out. We have uh, Philippa Georgiou from uh, Discovery. We have Michael Burnham, uh, Season 3, and Fenris Ranger, um, calling card logo which is pretty darn cool to check out so do check out fansets for uh, for more and uh we're very happy to have them as our sponsors fansets our pins have character so if one con wasn't enough we actually are proud to present a second uh, con that's going to be coming up through our friends at Science Division, who are sponsors of, our, they, sponsors of ours. They uh, make that tribble that uh, I enjoy quite a bit. It's quite a cute thing. So um, basically, the long and short of it is uh con itself is all about community. Uh, Kayla and Jay are organizing a great one. Um, plus, they're going to be uh, wrapping up the day. Uh, wrapping up the day will be a fantastic panel with our very own Ali Martinez, the 24-year-old Trekkie navigating the destructive negativity and gatekeeping." So I can't think of a better person to talk about that than Ali. So very exciting sort of stuff. It's all happening on June the 14th. That's this Sunday, uh, 2.30 uh, Eastern time in the year 2020. In case you're listening to this in the deep future, you can get more information on the Science Division website at sciencediv.com. Just click on the link for the connected con at the top of the page. When you visit the top of the page on the day of the con, you'll find a link to each participant's virtual table. Uh, they're uh, there also with their bio clicking the link will take you onto a skype or zoom meeting to talk uh, to the participant as though you just walked up to their table uh, they're still adding tables and anyone who is interested in hosting one can get more information on the science division website at science div.com so yes looks like a very entertaining thing um trouble with uh, trouble's never been this fun with uh, science division and uh, we thank them for uh, Including us into the uh, Connected Con and sponsoring this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Politrex, and definitely we're going to be having Bryson back on to talk more about indigenous representation. Also, want to learn about the BIPOC or BIPOC representation that can start uh, becoming a little bit more of a thing now that we are, as a society, talking about it. So, with that, we hope that you enjoy the episodes to come, live long and prosper, and onward to Starside. Star is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the other members of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TrekGeeks.com.